You're listening to American City and County's Young Leaders Podcast, a podcast series that will run throughout 2020, where we will get to know the next generation of local government. Thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Omnia Partners Public Sector. Omnia Partners is the most experienced cooperative purchasing organization for state and local government, K-12 education, and colleges and universities. Their immense purchasing power and industry-leading suppliers have produced an extensive portfolio of, of procurement solutions, making Omnia Partners a valued and trusted resource for public agencies nationwide. View their expansive contract portfolio at omniapartners.com slash public sector. Hi there. This is Derek Prawl. I'm the editor of American City and County Magazine, and you're listening to the second episode of our Young Leaders podcast series. Today, we're talking with Christian Williams. He's a development services planner in Goodyear, Arizona. He's also a board member of ELGL, which is Engaging Local Government Leaders. He's also the recent author of Open Ears, Open Hearts, Open Shoulders, ELGL's response to this time of upheaval. We're going to be talking about a lot today, but first, uh, Christian, can you just introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a little bit about your position in Goodyear and your role at ELGL. Sure. Hi, my name is Christian Williams, and I was uh, born in Brandon, Florida, and uh, it's in Hillsborough County, unincorporated. And I was raised out here in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Actually, uh, the city's called Peoria. I went to the University of Washington, Seattle, and uh, graduated in 2009 with an undergrad in community environment and planning. And I also minored in geography and urban design and planning. So I, I love urban planning, if you couldn't tell that already. <laughs> and I also <laughs> got my master's at Grand Canyon University here in Phoenix in uh, 2019. Uh, I currently serve as a planner for City of Goodyear, as you mentioned earlier, and I do I deal a lot with zonings, site plans, which is basically looking at parking and building ratios, how they come together on the site, lots of fun stuff with signs and making sure signs look nice, and then platting land, oh, cool. which is where you divide it, and uh, also design of buildings, making them look as nice as I can. <laughs> yeah, very cool. And Before, so can you tell yeah, me a little ahead. bit... Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, if you can tell me a little bit about uh, ELGL and your role there. Sure. So um, my first my introduction to ELGL happened at a priority based budgeting conference because um, I used to work for the deputy city manager's office and we led the priority based budgeting initiative. But while I was at that conference, ELGL happened to be there and they did a selfie contest. So I took it very seriously and I, I won that <laughs> contest, which uh, <laughs> got me a membership with ELGL. So. From there, was, I kind of just started your, writing. Was your selfie? So I remember having all the sticker swag they gave us and a can of Coca-Cola. And I took a selfie on the steps of the Colorado State Capitol in Denver, where it says one mile up or one mile above sea level. So I took this goofy selfie with like a waffle sticker, I think, in my mouth and uh, posted <laughs> that to social media. So <laughs> that's you how go. you win a free membership in case anyone wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that 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 sounds that sounds very interesting. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure with a little, little bit of googling, we can find that. <laughs> it's a little goofy, but I was able to bring back a prize to my boss, so she kind of excused that. So <laughs> hey, there you go. Yep. <laughs> so tell, tell me a little bit. Tell me a little bit about uh, ELGL, like who who they are, who they serve, what they do. Sure. So um, ELGL stands for Engaging Local Government Leaders. And I feel like ELGL serves everybody, which is a really cool thing about this organization. So um, I feel like they were established when there was a lack of just organizations that were geared towards just broad, 
cloth of local government. They're not an affinity group. They're not for those just seasoned city managers or assistant city managers. It really is geared towards all employees at all levels, and you don't have to hold that manager title. So fun fact, it was actually called Emerging Local Government Leaders when I was introduced to them. Uh, but they've since changed their name because it's it's not about who's emerging. It's for those city managers, but it's also for everybody. And it gives us one place that we can kind of all come together and share, you know, our unique perspectives and learn from one another. So uh, I, I, I would view ELGL as a group that's just really for everybody. But we all share together, learn and learn together. Sure. I remember uh, I remember a really long time ago when it was emerging government leader or emerging local government leaders. I worked with Kent Wyatt on yep. a story. I mean, this this was when he had like just started this organization, and I, I received, I think it was called a, a Leslie Nope Award from ELGL. Yeah, uh, yep. like Leslie Nope from uh, from Parks and Recreation. So yeah, we've uh, we've had kind of an on again, off again relationship with ELGL here at American City and County. Um, so I'm really happy to kind of be on again and speaking with you. Um, so yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of talk about this recent article that you wrote. Um, you know, it was, it was very open and very honest about some of your recent experiences dealing with, uh, dealing with bias in your life in, in your personal and professional life, both implicit bias and overt bias. Um, and you know these are these are conversations that are happening at multiple levels right now. Um, you know, local government not being uh, an unimportant one. So maybe sure. if you can tell me a little bit about the the process of writing this and some of the important points that you were trying to raise. Oh, and by the way, we're going to um, we have a link to this article right underneath the podcast uh, for listeners. If you haven't read the article yet, uh, maybe pause it right now and go read the article, and then we'll you can come back and hear us discuss it. So, uh, yeah, Christian, can can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure. So, I wrote the article particularly out of what I felt kind of a necessity, um, and partially for a need for some deeper understanding. Um, if you know, so I have a friend, I have a lot of friends and colleagues, and they are from different spectrums of the world and everything. And um, a lot of them have been making posts and having questions. And I felt like I was getting like 15 to 20 texts a day about what's going on, or how do you feel about this? So, um, but the, the real thing that got me to write this particular article was um, Saturday night after the incidents happened, I got a phone call. Um, from some friends or and, and really an acquaintance of one of my friends and um, he's white but um, he was really frustrated by the protests and um, to kind of summarize what he said during that conversation was basically like um, well he basically implied like I didn't have to deal with racism because I have some white friends and um, like almost implied like other black people are not like me and I'm different than them so um, that phone call, like it really frustrated me and I was kind of angry about it. But I realized I've heard some of these things before. So I felt like, you know, I really don't always talk about the things that happen in my life or I don't think a lot of people oftentimes that are black talk about all the experiences that they have in their lives. So I felt a need to share that. And, and that Saturday call really made me realize um, that a lot of my non-black friends don't understand what's happening. And sometimes they don't see what's happening in front of them. They're kind of blind to these issues or they're able to isolate themselves from these pains and struggles. So 
I, I really that's what really led me to to write that um, to to write the column. And also, I thought you know it kind of made me angry, but I, I realized that me being angry is not going to solve the issue. I needed to channel that anger into something more productive. And um, and also through the conversations I was having with people, I realized a lot of people were either confused or frustrated or wanted to feel like they could do something about it. And I was like, there's just a lot of Instagram hashtags to feel good. And, and also just a lot of conversations I was in where it was like, I'm in group chats and it, it felt like, it might not have been the reality, but it felt like a bunch of sometimes white people in a group chat trying to solve black issues or make themselves feel good about it or feel like they did something. So, you know, that led me to kind of write the column and also share some of the conversations I was having um, to, in order to teach and, and to kind of move the conversation, you know, towards some more understanding. So that's why yeah. I wrote the column and, and shared it. Okay. That, I mean, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Um, the, the conversation element of this, can, can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that was one of the, that, that was a sense of, of something really important that, I mean, that I took away from your article is, is the importance of having these maybe uncomfortable conversations with each other, uh, about race, about bias, um, you know, not just, uh, not just in the workplace, but in, in our lives in general. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about the importance of, you know, being open like you were and, and sharing your experiences and, and asking questions and talking to people that, you know, might not necessarily look like you, that might not have the same background as you, that, you know, might have very different life experiences. Can, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I feel like um, sometimes we're afraid to ask some of those tough questions I think sometimes we get afraid we're going to offend people by asking them questions or we're afraid of people saying, oh, that was a dumb question or a stupid question or you're ignorant because you asked that question. So this week or in the last couple of weeks, I've been more open to saying, hey, if you have a question about these topics or these situations, feel free to ask me. You know, I posted a couple text message conversations I've had and like blacked out the number and the name of the person just so people knew that other people had those questions. And, and I've really challenged myself and other people, you know, other black people to like not get as offended by questions we might view as maybe dumb or, or because people truly don't know. And I don't think that people are asking these questions to be malicious, but they really don't know. And, and that's the bigger issue I see in America is that, you know, a lot of neighborhoods are segregated. We go to a workplace and we say hi. It might be kind of fake or just really overly polite just because that's what we're expected to do. But we never really get to know people and who they are and their struggles and things that have happened to them. So I think because of that, we only know of other people what we see on TV or from one or very minimal or no interactions of them. So I guess one big point in the column I tried to um, express was that, you know, we're all very similar in so many ways. You know, we all have same, same fears, dreams, struggles, but um, when we don't talk to each other and have individual conversations, we never get to experience that side of other people. So I guess one point of the article or the column is that I, I challenge people to introduce themselves to people that they normally wouldn't come in, in, into, into contact with or encounter 
And it's okay to ask those questions you don't know the answer to, because if you if you can't ask those questions, you're just left to what your imagination can draw up. So um, mm-hmm. I really think that as a, a you know we need to have a little bit more deeper conversations and also stop judging people from the bit that we know of them on you know an Instagram post or one single tweet or, or things like that. Let's I it, I really hope that we can have deeper conversations with people that are different than us. Sure. Can you talk about um, the importance of that in the context of local government? Um, you know, obviously, uh, as people, you know, serving and working in local government, uh, you know, our, our job is to be aware of and cater to uh, a, a, a huge diversity of people in our communities and the the importance of understanding and conversation um within our 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 professional lives as local government leaders uh can can you can you talk about that a little bit sure um one question i mean there's always one way to look at it is from the data because i you know i'm a demographer and i did geography but one question you could always ask yourself is is your staff representative or does it have some representation of what your community looks like? An easy mm-hmm. way to do that would be like looking at the census per se. Does do the demographics of my staff, does that look like our community? Does the demographics of this department look like our community? But also is my audience looking like my community? Are our committees, like our committees a great way to get citizen feedback and involvement? Does that look like our community? And I'll say one of the reasons or you know, one of the ways I got involved in government and feel connected to government and really enjoyed government was because I was invited to the table. So, for example, when I was in high school, one of my first experiences with local government was the Youth Advisory Board. And I would not have just normally gone and, you know, applied for the Youth, youth Advisory Board. It took me happening to run into a city council member at a, a high school event, and she she encouraged me to go apply for the Youth Advisory Board. So that was an invitation there. Our mayor um, in the last couple of years, she uh, had a subcommittee on, um, you know, on parks and recreation and uh, open space preservation, quality of life, if you will. She had a subcommittee on that. I would not normally have just gone to be on that committee. She reached out and invited me to that. So I would say that a lot of my meaningful experiences within government have all stemmed from being invited to be a member of a committee or be a part of the, you know, have a seat at the table. So I'd say that's mm-hmm. a great way. Looking at what your committee makeups are, you know, does your staff or, you know, is that reflective of what the community looks like and what voices might you be missing? And I would say an invitation is a great way to get some citizens involved in that process. But I think that's, a, you know, I would challenge government um, officials that might be listening to this to, you know, that's your, my challenge to you is look at, you know, look at the demographics of your committee. And, you know, sometimes you might come from a, a community that is very, um, very similar in some um, I would say surface elements, like, like maybe race, like it might be very similar. So asking yourself, you know, these, these members on the community might have some diverse viewpoints and opinions, but maybe, maybe you could do some, um, some outreach to, to target, not target, but to, to invite people that it might have differences in culture and things like that to a committee. Sure. That, and I, I think you make a really good point and, uh, you know, I think that representation is something that 
uh, is on the forefront of a lot of forward thinking leaders minds right now. Um, I think that particularly, um, you know, obviously this is a young leaders podcast. I think that the kind of younger generation of local government folks, uh, are prioritizing this. Can you talk a little bit about this kind of shift in prioritization to a, a more inclusive, more uh, more representative local government? What, why is this? Why is this really important? How is this going to look in the future? And what what are our roles as young people in local government to kind of push that forward? Sure. I, I think it has to be very intentional. So I think you're going to have certain individuals that are more inclined to get involved, especially if they have a fear that they're going to lose out on something or it, it impacts them directly. So um, in that regard, I think you have to be very intentional about that. But also just kind of more broadly to my generation, um, I've, I have a lot of friends and I'll give you an example. When election time comes up, I have a lot of my friends that reach out to me and say, hey, um, what's this ballot proposition about? How should I vote on it? When people ask me how they should vote, I try to steer away from that. I like to say either here's how I'm voting on it and here's why. Here's what the ballot proposition is and what it does and doesn't do. But I hate to tell people how they should vote because I want people to do the research or at least understand what they're voting for. Um, I've had friends ask me about ballot propositions and then they say, well, I'm going to vote not the way you're going to vote. And I totally can respect that because at least they understand why they're voting for an issue or a person and they're having a deeper conversation with themselves about what they believe in. But Mm -hmm. I would also challenge my generation to, um, you know, government is only going to do so much to engage you. And some of that responsibility and the onus of that is going to come from us. So, you know, in my opinion, sometimes we need to get off of Instagram and get into the world. We need to to stop, you know, just simplifying issues into squares and quotes and things like that. We need to get out there and be engaged and make and make our voices heard. For example, um, sometimes it might seem boring, but we need to go and watch that boring meeting. We need to follow a couple of those boring policy discussions that are happening because those boring policy discussions today end up leading to the things that we're angry about tomorrow when there's an outcry on the internet. And we need to have been sure. involved in that conversation before. And I will say sometimes it feels disheartening when, disheartening when we feel like we're not heard, but I can't tell you how many times I've been in hour long meetings because we got one email from one resident mad about one thing. And we went and had 15 people in that room spinning our minds about how we we're gonna fix that solution. So I would say that we, we can't get disheartened over the small losses or the small times that we felt like we weren't listened to. We have to think about the bigger picture of this because I think together we can really build coalitions. But um, I would also say that, um, especially if you're in a smaller community where you have access to council members or your, your mayor or your city management, um, it doesn't hurt to send them an email to say, hi, here's where I live, here's some of the things I'm seeing in my community. I felt, and I've, I've seen a lot of times they respond to those types of things. And I'll give you an example. Even my mayor has reached out to me and asked me questions about certain topics that are impacting people my age. And, and you know, sometimes she doesn't vote the way I would like her to vote, but it, it means a lot that she reaches out and asks me for, 
you know, my opinion or my perspective on things because it, it feels as though she's trying to be more well-rounded and, and more understanding of the issue. So I don't see any problem with reaching out to your council member just to introduce yourself or go to a, you know, an event where you might meet your council member or mayor just to make that introduction because I think those have powerful long-term effects and you can really help influence policymakers in that regard. And that sort of gets back to your point on uh, the sort of coalition building of, you know, the the mayor or the council person reaching out to their community and saying, hey, you know, you're a valuable member of this community. Uh, what are what are your opinions here? What, uh, you know, what what can what can we do differently? What can we do better? How how would you feel more represented? Exactly. And it really is a two way street. I mean, public officials, um, city managers, people in government need to make themselves accessible, but also um, citizenry, we have a responsibility too to, you know, go out there and make those connections and those engagements um, versus just sending that angry email or having that rally when the issue is so far down the road that there's, you know, it, the horse is out of the barn. I think that's the phrase, you know. <laughs> You know, we need to get engaged before it gets to that point when our voices are just going to be crowded out by the hundreds of other people that are angry in opposition or, you know, for the the policy that's at hand. Sure. So let me ask you this. Uh, You know, your your article has been out there for a little while. What uh, what's the feedback been like? I've got a lot of um, a lot of feedback. It's been really fun to. Um, engage with people. Uh, I don't know if you know this about ELGL, but we talk a lot on Twitter, on Slack, and on Facebook. I don't have Facebook, so there's a whole conversation going on probably that I'm not aware of. But um, on Twitter, it's been really cool to have these conversations with people I have never met. And, um, you know, just from my past experiences with ELGL, you you become Twitter friends with somebody, and then four years later, you run into them at a, a conference, whether that's a city manager conference or an ELGL conference or a budgeting conference. It's, it's fun to run into those sure. people in the future, but um, I've been, I felt like I've been getting a lot of support for writing that. Um, one remark was upset that I highlighted my race at first, but I pointed out that this conversation is about race as it is right now. But I, I also want to point out like, while we're talking about race today, I don't always introduce myself that way. If I'm at a concert, I'm going to introduce myself and talk about the band that I like or things like that. But, um, but um, one person was relating to that experience and um, she's biracial. So was talking about you know, how you know, some of those similarities are, and the situations are the same. Um, it, it really reminded me that this story can transcend beyond just this circumstance, but to a lot of other situations. Um, um, I've let a lot of people vent to me. A lot of people have asked me questions in email and said they had no idea about these types of things. So it's been great to have that conversation back and forth. And then, um, one really exciting thing was um, one group used the column to have a team discussion about race, and they had had not done that at the time. So it wow. helped open them up to being able to share their own stories and kind of have a conversation around just what the pieces message, the messages of the the column were about. So that that was really exciting um, feedback. And um, one other interesting thing: one individual said that you know we need to do X, Y, or Z as the young generation because, quote, I'm just an old white guy. And um, my challenge back to him was, you're an old white guy, but you have a lot of connections. You're in a different circle. And we need you 
to also invite us to the table to have those conversations and provide those opportunities. So it's not just a millennial fight or a black person fight. It's an everyone, it's an everyone fight. I don't want to say fight. I want to say it's an everyone moving forward together because we all have a piece in how we make this country and even local government and our profession a better place to live and, and work together. That you you raise an interesting point. Uh, I think that you know, and this is going to be sort of painting with a broad brush, but I think that when people think about you know local government, who who do you picture? You probably picture you know an old white guy in a suit, and they're you know that's that's for a reason that's you know that that's what it's been for a long time and you know those individuals who you know occupy that place in society i think might sometimes feel like you know this isn't their fight and again not not fight you're 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 right that you know we might not that might be the wrong you know uh, linguistic framework for this, but who knows what the linguistic a, framework is, right? <laughs> right. Well, that, that's why we're having the conversation, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, it, it's very important for those people to realize their their position in this and their their position of privilege and their what they can do. You know, given the tools that they have and the connections that they have to further this movement to, to make, you know, not only our local governments, but our communities, you know, more inclusive, more empathetic, more loving, a, a better place for everyone to live. This, like you said, th this is, this is an everyone struggle. It's not just a millennial thing. It's not just a racial thing. It's, this is, this is everyone. We need to be yeah. considering what our place is in it. A friend of mine made a really good post. I, I, there's a lot of posts out there and some of them I, I cringe at, but this one really hit home because I had a lot of friends that were like, I don't know what to do. I feel bad. Like, have I treated you badly before? All these things. And, and like, I feel like I'm not doing enough out there, especially during a pandemic. Like, I feel like I should be marching and I'm not. And it's like, no, there's a place for everyone. And the the quote or the the, the, the post basically said, you know, on the road to change, there are many lanes and all of those lanes are different, but there is a lane for everyone. And as long as you're on that drive and you're making that change and you're making that movement, you're good. Like basically not to be discouraged by how little or how much you've done, but as long as you're trying to understand, trying to help, trying to do something better, then you're, you're doing the right thing. You're, you're in that lane for progress. And I think that, you know, it feels like to me, this country, if you think about ADCON, the change management model, you know, a is awareness, D is desire, and K is knowledge. You know, I think we're, we're sadly, I think we're still in that awareness phase where people are not aware about, you know, some of these systemic issues and, um, you know, racism and, and things like that that are going on in America. Some people don't see it every day. They don't want to see it or they've never heard about it. Or, you know, some of my friends didn't even know some of these things happened to me because I don't talk about it because I don't want a pity party. I just want people to treat me like a normal human being. But I think sure. we're in that awareness phase and um, moving to that desire phase, but um, you know, we're on we're on that path right now. So yeah, and that that was kind of what I wanted to talk about. Is at the end of your article, you have a call to action, sort of that's really based on understanding and support for one another. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about that, what that looks like in local government and how, you know, approaching things from an understanding perspective and from a support perspective, that's going to be important in not only uplifting our colleagues and coworkers, but moving forward the mission of local governments and, you know, be, being better civil servants. Sure. Um, so one of my favorite uh, examples of this, I, I, I learned from a friend who is not in local government. So after the protests began, um, I live in Arizona and they put us on a, uh, we had a curfew after some incidents happened at the protest. And before that eight o'clock pro, uh, curfew went into effect, I was like, I need to get out of my house. I'm working from home. I'm trapped at home. I need to get out of my house. So I went on a walk with one of my neighbors. And uh, while we were on the walk, we, you know, we we're talking about the issues, but um, he, he had heard about the column and um, and um, he's white. And he, he said, hey, I have four black employees and I'm struggling with what I should say to them, if I should say anything or do anything at all or just pretend like nothing's going on. And what I said to him is, um, if I were him, I would start with a simple question of how are you doing? Because I recalled my supervisor asking me how I was doing. And that meant a lot to me. That I mean, obviously, we all know that some, you know, Beside the pandemic, like there's a lot going on in the world. We know that things are not normal. We know that, um, or whatever normal was, but we know that like there's a lot of racial tension going on. So obviously, we're not colorblind. I mean, there's some people that are colorblind, but we know what race is, right? So it's okay to acknowledge that. I mean, it's obvious that something's going on. So I said, it's okay to ask, how are you doing? And it's an open enough question that somebody could say, I'm fine. They could say I'm having a hard time with a work assignment or they can say I'm really struggling with what's going on and let me tell you how I feel. But it really opens the door for a conversation and it allows for responses to become deeper and um, it, it allows you to be able to say, OK, this is a time when I can ask more questions or I'm here just to listen. But um, he followed up with me and he told me that the question, how are you doing, really did open a lot of doors and allowed him to have those conversations with his black employees and let them be able to truly speak to him. And he was able to understand more of the perspective. So going back to that whole, you know, empathy, I think that it's okay. I think, I think local government could take a lesson from this, just, you know, asking residents how they're doing. Um, and, and just from a neighbor perspective, I mean, local government is built by people that live in your community or near your community. We're all neighbors. We all know what's going on. And, um, I think it's okay to ask your neighbors how they're doing. So aside from this, you know, going back to what do we imagine what government looks like, you know, it's this prim and polished, you know, potentially white guy that's in power, you know, it's not like that always, especially I've learned this from ELGL. There's so many different diverse viewpoints and perspectives, but um, your local government is really built of your neighbors. So we should take care of each other's neighbors and ask our neighbors how we're doing and try to learn and understand from our, our neighbors' perspectives. Because what we see on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter might not be the reality. And sometimes it, it takes that, how are you doing question to really delve in and get into that. Sure. So I wanted to, I wanted to close with this. I know that ELGL uh, offers some really good resources on, um, you know, having these tough conversations, um, you know, approaching, approaching each other with empathy, um, approaching each other with understanding. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about the, the resources that might be out there for someone who wants to learn more about this? Um, 
for someone who wants to be better at this? Uh, what's sure. what's the work that's being done? What's what's available? Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on, especially as it relates to the awareness piece. So we have a diversity dashboard, and that is really where we're cataloging demographic data of government. It started out with just um, city managers and, and mayors and the top level of government, but it's really expanded to um, demographic information from all of government. So that's a great resource just to see where different organizations are as it relates to different diversity categories. And then there's a lot of great information, especially when I started on the 13% called hashtag 13% if you're trying to find it on Twitter, but that's really about um, women in leadership positions. So there's a lot of articles about building benches as it relates to um, um, women serving as either mayors or um, city managers. So a lot of good topics on that and a lot of other diversity issues, including right now we're collecting a lot of information and sharing a lot of information and stories on race. And um, that's kind of what my, my column wanted people to do is to share those stories and also ask those tough questions because I think that through, through those tough questions, we get to some, some uncomfortable discoveries, but they're discoveries that we need to go through together as a country. But um, we are really also uh, great, I think, as an organization of having a lot of these open conversations, again, on Twitter and social media. And I think these conversations really do need to happen. So ELGL has a lot of perspective from members on a lot of these topics. We're producing some research about how organizations are and where their current state is so that we can talk about what that future state looks like. And, and it's also a great place just to ask you know, fellow members questions about these these topics that are tough and you know, really respectful um, environment. Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, I really wanted to thank you again for uh, for taking the time to to talk with us and to to share your perspective and you know to to sort of start this conversation. Um, I hope that our readership and you know our our listenership, our our audience would take advantage of these resources and uh, you know consider this message and you know consider yeah. consider what you're doing during this time. Yeah, and I have a couple challenges for some of your audience, whoever's listening or what, reading or whatever. Um, you know, if you're in a position of power, I just encourage you to mentor people, um, especially people that might not look like the leadership around you. We're not always going to reach out to you. Um, and sometimes getting an invitation to the table is really helpful. Um, being asked to be included in the conversation. So mentoring is super important. Don't think just because you're an old white guy that you can't make a change. Um, you obviously have a social circle and you might be respected within your organization or more tenured. There's a lot that um, younger generations or people of different races can learn from you. So please invite us to the table. Um, that's how we build benches is, is through having an invitation to the table and, and mentoring opportunities. If you're a local government, uh, look around you and see if your committees or your, you know, your leadership team is rep reflective of the overall community and think about how you might invite people to start taking steps into getting involved. And if you're my generation or younger, government's not always going to be, it's not always going to feel accessible and it might seem kind of mundane or boring, but we have a responsibility too to start trying to get more engaged, whether that's introducing ourselves or a council member, following those somewhat boring policy conversations, but 
you know, we have a civic duty in my eyes to start trying to get more engaged and to learn more so that we don't see some of these incidents that are happening in America today happen. I'd rather be outraged by the policy before than by the loss of a life. So I have those challenges for you. And then get to know your neighbors. I mean, and get to know people that might be different than you. I think it's a good opportunity for us. You know, we're in a crazy time right now. And uh, just, you know, it doesn't hurt to reach out to your neighbor and see how they're doing or, you know, get to know somebody that's different than you uh, and not just go back to our comfy environment. So I think we're ready for a new normal. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for uh, for taking the time to talk with us and share with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. And um, hopefully, you know, we'll take this moment and do do something good with it, do something important with it. So thanks again, Christian. And um, like I said, uh, please read Christian's uh, article below. And uh, his contact information is in there. If you'd like to talk with Christian about any of these uh, topics or, um, you know, learn more about ELGL, uh, there, there are a lot of resources out there for you. So thanks again, Christian. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks for having me. And I'm looking forward to the discussions. Thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Omnia Partners Public Sector. Omnia Partners is the most experienced cooperative purchasing organization for state and local government, K-12 education, and colleges and universities. Their immense purchasing power and industry-leading suppliers have produced an extensive portfolio of, of procurement solutions, making Omnia Partners a valued and trusted resource for public agencies nationwide. View their expansive contract portfolio at omniapartners.com slash public sector.